Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Are you ready? It's the Roundtable with me, Robert Bannon. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Roundtable. My name is Robert Bannon. I'm excited if you're listening to me on the Broadway Podcast Network or you're watching us right here on YouTube. We have an inch. Listen, I have read a lot of press releases in my day. I have been very excited to talk to people. I have never read a press release about a comic who's a dentist with a stripper and a missing snake. And there is so much to talk about with my king. <laughs> There's a lot of journey and you're gonna have to check it out with this book and see him when he's on the road doing stand-up. My king is here to tell us we're gonna connect all the dots, all of them right now. Mike, welcome to the show. Hey, Robert, thank you for having me. Mike, Thanks. your life sounds fascinating. <laughs> Chaotic, I would put it. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> well. Firstly, we're here to talk about, to start, we're here to, to, to talk about a bunch of things, but right. your book, Dad Spelled Backwards, right. A Journey Through the Maze of Love, Marriage, and Adoption, is out right now. Yes. And people can get it. What made you write the book? Um, I wrote the book. Um, well, they always say you have to write what you know, and um, we went through this process, and I thought it was important for people to know Listen, I was this single guy until my 50s. You know, like I say in my act, you know, a single dentist living in New York City is like being Moses in the promised land. <laughs> you know, you're, you know, you you have a little money. And, you know, so I put off the whole family thing. And, and then once I did it, and then once I had a child, uh, having the child was... You know, the love for a child is incredible. And I wanted everybody to know. And I, I think it's it's our future. And I wanted everybody to know how important it was to have a child in your life. Even if it isn't yours, you know, your brothers, your sisters, whoever. Just form a really tight relationship with that. Absolutely. And, and, and I know that we've done a bunch of shows here on foster care. We've done shows on, you know, people aging out of foster care on adoption. Right. It is not an easy process. People think you can just pick up the phone and have a kid. It is not like that at all. No, no, no. You think it is, you know, but once you start the process, it's, it's a journey and a crazy journey. For sure. Well, now people that want to laugh want to be inspired or have questions about a parenthood or or want to talk about it all, they can grab the book wherever books are sold. You go back in time, though, in the book and talk about your own childhood. Yes, which was crazy, as you may know. Colorful. I think, yes, it's... That's a word I like, colorful. <laughs> colorful. You're, the, this, this says, odds are slim that the son of a Denver, Colorado strip club owner who currently has a thriving children's dental practice and is a well-known stand-up comic, would write a heart-stopping, clever tome of a journey. I was I read that sentence and thought, wait, what? Did I just... <laughs> I, I know. Well, that's a, that's a pretty good reaction. Yeah. That is, well, you're from Denver. Right. I grew up in Denver. And your 
father and mother ran a business. A business, a, a, a different kind of business. Yes. King's, family business. King's Crazy Horse Bar. Yes. And it became very famous for its burlesque house west of the Mississippi. And you have these crazy stories in the book. Yes. About what it was like growing up. Did you know that your childhood was colorful and fun and, and different? I found out late because he didn't, you know, I wasn't born into the business. You know, the my dad had a regular tavern. It was called the Calvert Inn and a neighborhood bar. And then I don't know, you know, if you talk to him, he wanted something different. So he applied for his cabaret license and it became, however you want to call it, burlesque house, strip club, strip joint. And I didn't know at first. It, suddenly things were happening to me. Um, you know, what, what about your dad? People were asking me questions. Uh, you know, people were giving me different looks than I normally would get. And then, um, as the story tells, you know, did, can you say titty bar on this show? Or? You can say anything you want. <laughs> you can say anything you well, want. You know, when someone says, you know, tease you, your daddy owns a titty bar, titty bar, and, and you have to kind of look it up. I mean, then you realize that life's not going to be the same. Absolutely. I, I think it's what's so important is we, I, it's a fascinating story and it's fun to talk about, but there is, you talk about in the book that what it was like growing up and, and being teased by that. What drove you to study dentistry out of everything? Like what was the moment where you thought being a dentist is what I would like to be? Um, well, you know, I had two sides of the family, you know, there, there was the Orthodox side. That was my mom's side. And that's a whole other story. My mom, my mom came from an Orthodox Jewish family, and she was part-time managing a strip club, which in itself is a story. And her side of the family, most of the uncles and were uh, physicians or PhDs. And I think my dad, part of him always, because he was smart, but he, part of him always wanted to, you know, if he was stayed in college and, you know, so he put projected that onto me and it was always, it seemed like I didn't have that option, even though part of the, I thought about it you know, because he had other business interests and he owned the building, which was a very historic building from Denver and uh, a lot of history of that building. So I was going to say, well, maybe I would, you know, go and not become the owner of Stripoint, but with the real estate, but the medical part took over. And you end up going to USC for a year and then transferring to the University of Colorado. Yes. And you did pre-med. You yes. did psychology. Right. And then you were waitlisted for, you didn't mean to be a dentist then. No, no. Like a lot of, you know, because back then everybody wanted to be a physician. And so I applied to uh, medical school. Um, I got on the waiting list at Howard University. I, at that time, this was, I would probably have been the token white guy at, yeah. at that place because that, you're talking years ago. Right. And um, I, at the same time, you would always apply to dental school as a backup because medical school at the time was harder to get into. Not by a lot, but now they're pretty close. And so uh, I got into 
I guess it didn't mean that much difference to me. It turned out to be a better choice for myself having these other careers. And Sure. Well, can I ask you a, one? I've never been so self-conscious about my teeth in any interview I've ever done. You, you, can I ask you as someone who I don't to hate the dentist, Mike, and I'm sure you've heard lots of bad dentist jokes and people are always making lot, jokes. Yeah. But as a little germaphobe OCD person, do you, you never were bothered by just getting in there and, and different patients and it's just a day at work. It's like anything, you know, you don't like show up at dental school and they give you a mouth, a real, <laughs> <laughs> you know, here, here's this disgusting person who hasn't brushed in three years. Here's See, a drill. Like yeah. If you can no, handle it, you can, go, you can continue. No, they don't. It's, it's, you know, you kind of work on mannequins and I mean, it, there's disgusting things, you know, sure. it was, it was disgusting a lot of time, but like anything else, it becomes a job. It's, it's, it, and you're helping people. And so not that it's a rationale, but it, you are helping people. So it, I mean, you know, I could go into urology or which aren't much better. Maybe, I, you know, I, I get it. Absolutely. But you're I, right. The mouth, Another reason I do children is the mouth to me is less disgusting. Uh, if you put it that way on, on a three or four year old than a 46 year old who hasn't brushed in 11 years. Oh, I completely understand. You're doing God's work and I appreciate you because we all need a pearly white smile and we all need to have good dental hygiene. And I think it's speaking of of journeys, whatever you believe in, whatever religion that people listening are, if you believe there's something up there or not, your journey to me, when I read the story, feels fascinating, like it was almost meant to be, because you're from Denver. Right. You go to school around wherever, and you end up going to Temple University right. in Philly, and you then get go to Brooklyn to start practice. If you weren't in New York City, do you think you would have found your way to being a stand-up comic? I think so. I Part, I think being the age I am and where I was, if I, a couple of years later, I probably would have gone straight on to do writing and move to the West Coast. But I was at that point, like I said before, where the medical profession and was considered like the pinnacle of, of professionalism and where you wanted to be, a doctor, a dentist, a lawyer. And so at, at the time, but I think... Um, that was always in my mind. I, my dad was a performer. He was the MC of the show. And he would, uh, I guess, going there at a young age, like at 12, 11, 12, and seeing him, you know, it gets in the back of your head that, look, at he's performing to this dancers on stage and he's getting laughs because he was very comical and he would have his own shtick. And, and so that, was always there, and I guess I wanted to always perform. So when you got up at Catch a Rising Star and you did your first set, how? when was the moment where you decided that there's a way to make this as part of your life, as a career? Like, there's a, there's a I'm going to get up and do a little stand-up with some friends and make a joke, and then there's, I'm going to sit down and write a set right. and, and, and pound the pavement. Well, you got to be a little nuts to do stand-up, <laughs> first of all. You know, the guy, you see, he's a dentist. He has to be somewhere. No, 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 no. To get up in an audience or any kind of performing art and to sit there and ask 
people to judge you, and especially com comics, because you're, you're not an ensemble or anything. It's just you, and you need a specific response to know you're doing well. And if you don't get that, it's very easy to gauge. And so you got to be a little crazy. And I remember the first joke I ever wrote, it got a laugh. It was something like, uh, I was walking over here tonight, and I was mugged by an out-of-towner. I knew he was an out-of-towner because he asked for a receipt. Something like that. <laughs> so, I, I, and it got a laugh. And then I thought, I'm on my way. And I died us. You know, you could hear, you know, pin drop in there at the time. But you keep going because you get one laugh and then you get more. And it, it's a process. It's a really, really, probably the most difficult thing I ever did. And, and I think other people agree. Just to be able to do 20 minutes, a half hour consistently and get the laughs from total strangers because you're funny around your friends, I'm sure. And they know you and they, Oh, Robert's so funny. And but to go in front of strangers who have no idea who you are. So it's frightening. I, absolutely. I, I mean, I'm a, I'm a singer and I do, I do my cabaret, I do my concerts, right. but music is you could hear my music. You come, you want to hear the songs that I always sing. It's kind of, you know, comedy laughter it's so subjective you know it's what i find funny versus what you find funny can be totally different and you share a vulnerable part of yourself because you're telling something then you're out left out there to dry i'm fascinated by the mind of a comic it's uh yeah it is um and you, you talk about what you know and i think it's our job you know, to relate to the audience because to give them a different perspective of things that they do and maybe not think it's funny. And I think that's what drives them. But um, yeah, so, you know, performing is, is not for sissies. No, it is not. And it is a club. And I, that's what I, we've talked to a lot of comics and that's what I find fascinating about stand-up. There's kind of like an inner circle. There's a group of people who run these clubs and it's hard to kind of break in. How did you, get the chutzpah to consistently go back and, and wiggle your way into you were, do you finally? Well, that's where dentistry came in handy because, you know, I talk about, because people, when you're a dentist, they have an image, you know, it's stereotypical, you know, that this guy is a provider, security, whatever you want to think. So I knew this woman who was an agent, I met her through other dentists. Her name was Marcy and very nice lady, lovely lady. And she booked a lot of comedians at William Morris Agency, which is a big agency. And she introduced me to the owners and the people in the club. So I didn't have to wait in line. <laughs> I didn't have to do anything. This is my friend, Mike King. He's a dentist. Uh, can you give him a, a try? And I went on and I got a few laughs and I never had a, I think some people maybe resented that. I don't know. If, if you look at, there's a, a, a series, it's a documentary called Behind the Brick Wall. Besides, you're on a brick wall right now. Is that a real brick wall? Or is that... <laughs> okay. We used to have a brick. I used to live in an apartment that had a brick wall. Okay. So when I moved, everyone was like, where's the brick wall? So welcome to the fake That's brick wall. Okay, so the improv had uh, a, a famous brick wall, you know. So there's a, um, a, a documentary called Behind the Brick Wall. And if you listen to that 
one of the first people they talk about is, is Bill Maher. He's there talking about, you know, the improv, the auditions. And then he's going, ah, oh, yeah, the auditions. I had to wait in line. I had to follow the friggin, he didn't use that word, but <laughs> dentist. And, and I mentioned twice in that. I think John Stewart mentioned me also. He said, you mean Mike King, the dentist, or Michael Patrick King, who, you know, did Sex in the City? <laughs> And in fact, we did a show together and Michael Patrick said, oh, this is the Mike King Fest, <laughs> which I still remember to this day. He was he's a very nice guy. Yeah, I love that. Well, now, how do you juggle dentistry and stand up? Like, how do you organize your life? Well, before I don't do as much stand up like I I'll do like maybe three sets a month. I actually a couple of weeks ago, I did my first road gig in years. I was at the. Uh, Sag Harbor uh, Playhouse. Yes. And um, initially it was tough. It was, I was there, you're there almost every night. And in the old days, back in the eighties, that you would work two o'clock in the morning, there'd still be people there. So you go on very late. And because you were new and you would get bumped by, you know, Richard Belzer, they called him the Bells, would come in or, you know, somebody else would go and so bump you farther back. And, you know, by the time and then they get finished and 90 percent of the the most I ever went on, least I ever went on to was two people. And and one of them went to the bathroom. So I was doing a show for one person. It was like a, working for a sultan you know, to just, you know, he just wanted to see you perform. And uh, so back then, you know, I was single. When I met my wife, it's it's very hard to mix the two because comic, it's a tough relationship to be in because at any moment, especially if you're a road comic and, you know, you have plans and someone calls you, hey, listen, I had a cancellation. Can you do this gig? It's $500. It's hard to pass up. Right. And so it, it your life is constantly in flux. Yes. And so, but now I, I limit, you know, the shows, but, you know, we're working on the musical you probably read about. Yes. And so uh, that's starting to take a lot of time. Absolutely. Well, I was going to ask you, you then transitioned from writing jokes to writing the book and yes. and now turning it into a musical. You, She must be a special lady to make you uh, to settle down and, and build this family life. Uh, yes. She changed a lot. She was like in bed at 1030, uh, didn't have a TV. She's French, you know, and which to me is like, you know, the Adams family, you know, the yes, when oh, they drive me crazy. Yeah, same thing with her. And so her life, you kind of gravitate to one of the, whoever your partner is. So she stays up late now and I have to tell her it's time. I'm going to bed earlier now. So uh, yeah, things change, you know, you have to be flexible, but if you love a person enough, you're willing to do that. And, and you know, in the end, it's not about your career. It's about relationships and, and love. And and so I stopped doing as much stand-up and I'm home most nights. Well, you know, I just had this conversation. It's so funny that you bring that up because I was just saying your career does not really tuck you in at night. It's not no. a, real, a real life. And at a certain yeah. age and stage, we all are on this rat race, hamster reel, fighting to make it in this crazy business or whatever business you're in. But at some point, you have to know what really matters. Right. And that's what I think is so fascinating about the book, Dad Spelled Backwards, 
because your story is so fascinating. But at the end of it, you find love and marriage and and and, a, and you adopt and have a family. Yes. So was that something when you think of you at 21 years old was even, can you imagine the journey that your life has taken you on? Well, I thought, you know, at some point I would do, you know, the normal things. I mean, you're, you're starting to go to your college, you're pre-med, pre-dent. think things are going to fall in the line. You'll, you'll meet the love of your life at 29 and you'll have your, you know, kid at 33 and, but as you know, it, it, because things come along the way. Like for me, it was getting a little money and seeing all your options. I always would look at movie stars. I go, gosh, look who they can date. <laughs> they can go out with anybody in the world. Look, at, you, you're limited. You're living in Denver, you know, your certain area. You're, you know, your focus is limited. So when I moved to New York City, like I said before, all these options and that kind of you're having fun and, and you're meeting all these great people. Why would you want to settle down? So I, I think. It, and also because I maybe my dad's profession had something to do with it, because even though I loved him, and he was great. He, he wasn't home a lot. Now, this is going to get a little psychological on you, but oh, please, he, come on. He, he wasn't, you know, he was at the club. He would come over for home for dinner like at nine. And then go back out. And then if I was, you know, he'd come home at three or four in the morning. And I read an article once and it made sense about fathers who, you know, he didn't do a lot of sports. He wasn't into music. You know, he loved food. He loved jokes, looking everywhere for jokes to add to his shtick on stage. But I read an article that for fathers who weren't around a lot, that you look to the mother to provide a little of a masculine that you may not have gotten. So the mother becomes all these things. And so you set the pedestal very high on what your mate, because they have to not only feel fulfilled, the mother, but also the father, and then nobody's ever good enough. And I think, as you know, from a male that for us to make our maturity not until our 30s where we make rational decisions. Maybe if we're lucky, I'm still not sure about if I'm still making them. But I I, th I think that had a lot to do with it. So I was very immature for so many years that it, it wasn't where I read where somebody who's like a son of a farmer, you know, small town, saw what his father married someone. And, and it continues that little thing. I, that's fascinating. I, I think that's probably 100 percent true. And, and 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 you see it when you examine and look back on it all. You have to be a pretty psychological person to be a stand up comic, because uh, I think you have to understand humanity or, or behavior. Oh, yes, yes, yes. A hundred percent. I am really excited. I went on and ordered a copy of the book today because I am now fast. I, I heard strip club and I heard missing snakes and I heard dentistry and yes. I heard comic and I thought, this, how do you not read this? How do you not get a little stocking stuffer for your for your uh, friend or family member that loves to read good stories, memoirs, and, and information, and and wants to laugh? Then with Mike's book, right? It, it is a love story. It, yes, essentially, it's not you know going do an A to B to get a. It's about people who meet and and the conflicts because you can't have a relationship without conflicts. It's 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 impossible. 
Absolutely. You know, I, you know, like the guy who said, yeah, we've been married 42 years and we have still have sex every day. I want to know what, what did this, what, what is wrong with this guy? What did he have a shot in the head or something and he's healing? I don't get it. You know, there are so many fascinating relationships and people in our lives that have very interesting relationships. And yeah. I guess different, different strokes for different folks. I, I guess. Um, I'm excited to see it, read it, and I'm excited to see what's up and coming and a musical, Mike. Are you oh, ready yeah. for the undertaking? Well, if you're a you know, in the musical theater, I was just looking at a video because one of the guys that uh, did one of the performances, the duplex was this guy, JJ Neiman. You know, he's so fantastic. He did Ratatouille. He's in Back to yeah. the Future right now. And he's so uh, he's singing, you know, uh, In My Bones, which is one of the best songs of the musical. It's about a 12 year old going to a strip club for the first time, you know, sit in the back. And, and the song is about these feelings. <laughs> and I don't mean as a dental F-E-E. I mean, you know, the other feelings comes over him realizing that the conflict between seeing these women and whatever, getting excited and at his father's place, it, he doesn't know what to make of this feeling in his bones. I feel it in my groin. Ba, 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 ba. <laughs> and, and JJ is a, JJ, a... If you look at him, he's he was great. He's great. We got, when we did it at 54 Below, actually we're doing it again April 27th and then we're going to have a short run. I mean, not that I'm boasting, but Adam Blotner, who run the, wrote the music, it's fantastic score. And people came out of there. We got a great review because somebody was in there when we did it last April. So we're just looking, you know, the next, I don't want to be a vanity project, so I don't want to put up all my own money, but, uh, but JJ did a wonderful job and one of the best songs. Of, but again, it's, it's about the conflict that a kid has, but in the end, you know, love prevails, no matter what your father does. Absolutely, and and uh, I'm excited, April. So we gotta say we gotta keep up with you. So where do we find you? Where can we keep up to date? You with can all go uh, to Mike King Writes Plural um, dot com or the Fifth dot com, and also lapdancekid.com. dot That's dead. the title of the musical, Mike. I need to come to 50. I'm in, I'm on 50. I'm at 54 below in June. You can be at 54 below in April. April 27. Yeah. We'll have a whole spring of. Okay. Of, I of wish me. I had a story like your story. You can borrow it. All right. I'll give you credit though. I'll give you credit. I'm not okay. trying to steal a joke. No, you, you can, you can borrow my story. <laughs> my King is here. You catch this, the lap dance kid when it comes to 54 Below in April, and make sure you grab a copy of the book, Dad Spelled Backwards, A Journey Through the Maze of Love, Marriage, and Adoption. You can grab a copy of it and have it to your house within two days and, and make sure you read it this, this season. Mike, it's such an honor to be with you, and I, I appreciate you for sharing your story. It's fascinating, and I can't wait to see what happens next. Thank you, Robert. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. My pleasure. Appreciate you. Thank you. Can you even? What? Dentist, strip club, stand-up comic, lap dance kid, dad spill backwards. 
That's a life. You know, that's the whole point of this show is that you have a whole big giant life too. And you could change it in a minute. You could be a dentist one day, a stand-up comic, and I say a Supreme Court justice the day after. I might be Secretary of State by the end of this airing. You don't know what's the, what the future holds. Not in this sweatshirt looking like a homeless man, but you know, it's Monday night. We tape this on a Monday night. And don't you just want to go to sleep? I just want to go to sleep. So I'm going to sleep. Everybody, thank you for being here. Make sure you check me out at robertbannon.com. Listen to my album called Rewind, streaming wherever you listen to music. And come see me. I will be at Chelsea Table and Stage on December 9th with Paige Davis, Kevin Smith Kirkwood, and Robbie Roselle. It's my Robert Bannon Christmas special. I'll be telling you all about it here on the Roundtable. And we always have the Roundtable on YouTube Thursday nights at 7 o'clock live with special guests and so much fun. And whoop, whoop. Whoop, whoop. Check out everybody on the Broadway Podcast Network. And I hope to see you again tomorrow right here on the Roundtable. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.